You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, I'm sure many people were hoping today would be laughing at the enemy, but we still got Monday Night Football. It's, uh, it is Monday night for me right now. The game has not quite started, and I just don't want to miss a really prime opportunity with those two teams on the docket. So I did start compiling clips for that already. I got uh, some great stuff for the Chicago Bears. Um, I will continue to pile, compile clips. The plan will be for tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. But I do want to take a look at um, some of the news and notes from over the week. Obviously, for the Green Bay Packers, there are no new injury updates because they didn't play any games, at least no injury updates in terms of new injuries or whatnot, aside from Jordan Love is is uh, on the COVID list. There's also the non-news news that uh, head coach Matt LaFleur said they could be potentially getting back Jair Alexander, David Bakhtiari, and Zadarius Smith at practice this week. Again, that is non-news news, which is to say, that doesn't tell me anything. They maybe will practice. Okay. <laughs> is anybody going to play? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't even know if they're going to practice. Did you, did you hear what I just said? I said I don't know. I don't know if they're going to practice. And if I don't know if they're going to practice, I definitely don't know if they're going to play. So this whole conversation we're having right now doesn't need to be had. That's pretty much what that boils down to. But it's still, I mean, it's still good news. And I'll say this, similar to um, the underdogs last week where I said, you know, pretty unlikely for each individual person. If you asked me, do you think Jair is going to play? I would say no. Do you think Bakhtiari is going to play? I would say no. If you said, do you think Zadarius is going to play? I'd say no. If you asked me what are the odds that one of these guys was going to play, eh, there's a a shot. We might get one of these guys back. Maybe even two. I don't know. Probably not Bakhtiari, but, uh, you know, we'll see. But anyways, aside from that, I do want to, the nice thing about the end of the season, I I really am starting to like the end of the season as far as me covering things. It's just such a fun time because everything's starting to come into focus. You know, whereas week one, two, three, four, whatever, everything's up in the air. I don't know how many times I looked at the league and I was like, I don't don't know who's good and who's not good. Now that we're kind of getting into it, although there's still a ton of questions out there, everything's coming into focus. For example, I can just completely disregard the majority of the league. I just don't care, right? We've got a handful of teams that are competition. We've got, a you know, NFC anyways. Uh, AFC, we'll worry about if we make it to the Super Bowl. And then we got a handful of teams that we have to play that are remaining. And that's it. Otherwise, I don't care. Hey, what's Washington up to? Guess who doesn't care? Me. At all. Unless Washington is playing a team that we need to lose, I, I don't have to care anymore. See you next year. It's been fun, right? Raiders. I, if I don't have to say Raiders again for the rest of the year, that'd be great. That would be fantastic. Don't have to care. Um, on that note, want to look at a couple developments um, for these upcoming teams. For example, this week we got the Chicago Bears. I have not heard about any relevant things coming up. Uh, the only thing that I'm keeping an eye on is which quarterback are we going to be playing. I don't know how much it matters. Um, obviously, I've been saying for a while now that Andy Dalton is better than Justin Fields. 
So with that, I would probably rather play Justin Fields, but after watching Andy Dalton throw four picks, I don't know that I care a ton, to be honest. But after we play the Chicago Bears, we have the Baltimore Ravens coming up, and a pretty significant injury has developed. Marlon Humphrey, um, he has been down quite a bit this year in terms of his PFF grade and everything else, which is not super worth getting into, but point is, widely recognized as not just their top corner, but one of the top corners in the NFL, is out for the season. He will not be playing against the Green Bay Packers, and that is pretty significant. Even if we're going to do what I tend to like to do, and that is, you know, be that dork that's, rather than just doing what everybody else does and says, Marlon Humphrey, one of the greatest in football, blah, blah. I, I sounded like I said one of the greatest in football, Bubba. That's kind of funny. <laughs> I got to remember to play that back tomorrow. One of the greatest in football, Bubba. I think I'm funny, all right? Just uh, don't worry about what I do. Worry about what you do. Even if I'm going to be that guy who points out, he's uh, he hasn't been that good this year, he's still far and away better than anybody else on this team. He is having a down season, just like everybody else on this defense is having a down season. And um, the secondary corner next to Marlon Humphrey, who is going from the number two to the number one, has been pretty terrible. So either way you want to slice it, either a great corner is no longer on the team or a guy that is having a terrible season is not on the team. And the guy who is significantly worse than the the barely mediocre corner, Marlon Humphrey, is now their number one and they have to promote somebody else who's even worse than that. Either way you want to slice it, it works to our advantage greatly. And the, re- the only reason I don't want to do that is because I don't feel like having an argument about it. This is one of those things. Again, like I said yesterday, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not wrong about this, but if I went on Twitter and I was like, yeah, Marlon's not that good anyway, he's having a bad year, I'm going to get lit up. I'm going to get lit up. And I already know how the argument goes. Ravens fans ch- chirp in and say, you're an idiot. You don't know football. Marlon Humphrey is, everybody knows, one of the best in football. And then you're going to have Packer fans chime in and be like, yeah, dude, uh, actually... You're kind of wrong about this one. As if I don't know he's a very good corner. As if he wasn't one of my favorite prospects coming out in college and I haven't been watching him this whole time. All I'm saying is that he's having a down year. Just like the rest of the defense is having a down year. He had his highest grade of the season was a 70.2. The last two games of the season, he had a 42 and a 40. All right? But again better than everybody else. But we'll worry about the Ravens and getting to understand the Ravens. We're going to talk a little bit about Lamar today because I found something interesting because I asked the people on Patreon some questions. Somebody asked me a question. I dug into some stuff, whatever. Don't worry about it. But the point is, like everything else, you got to kind of relearn teams when you face them again because if you base things on assumptions, you go and say, Lamar's going to be a massive risk. Marlon Humphrey's going to be a massive risk. Here's the things you got to watch for. Um, And you don't really know that things are not as they were last year. But again, not worth having that argument. If you think he's a great, fine, great. If you believe me that he's been having a rough year, great. Because at the end of the day, it means the exact same thing. Their cornerback room is very hurt by this. Either, regardless of what you think of Marlon Humphrey, this hurts a lot. To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, Marlon Humphrey, with his 66 overall grade for the season, is their number one corner. Their number two corner is Anthony Averett. I remember him out of Alabama. He was a fourth-round pick. Uh, He's got speed for days. He's got a 54.9 overall grade. This is their number two guy. So this is like their, I don't even know because we shuffle guys so much, but you get the point. He's the number two guy. He is now going to be promoted to the number one guy. Fourth-round pick back in 2018. uh, Never really been that good of a corner. 54.9 overall grade so far this season. 
The next corner on their roster is Tavon Young. Tavon Young has only played 360-some-odd snaps so far this season in 12 games. Um, he's got a 62 overall grade so far this season. After that is Jimmy Smith, 64 overall grade. He is a 33-year-old um, career Raven. He's been with the Ravens since 2011. The only other corner that's played any amount of snaps is Chris Westry with a 46 overall grade. So um, they don't really have a lot of great options, and they just lost their best one. Beyond that, this cornerback group is pretty banged up. I mean, I don't know how long um, Marlon Humphrey's been dealing with injuries. Maybe that's part of the problem all year. He's been dealing with some lingering things. I don't know. But I just want to read this paragraph from NFL.com. It's a huge blow for the Ravens secondary, talking about the fact that he's probably going to be out for the year, which was banged up, to say the least, coming into Sunday. Dealing with an illness, Humphrey was questionable, along with fellow cornerbacks Anthony Averett, shoulder and ankle injury, Jimmy Smith, neck and ankle injury, Chris Westry, thigh injury, and Tavon Young, illness. So everybody was either sick or banged up coming into this game. So depending on how healthy these guys can get um, with, their pa- with the upcoming Packer game, this is going to be a subpar and banged up cornerback unit. So, um, yeah, it's significant. In addition, after that game, the Baltimore Ravens, we are going to be playing the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns just lost their right tackle, Jack Conklin. So as the Packers have Rashawn Gary and look to get back Zadarius Smith, the Browns have just lost their right tackle. Jack Con- So the, the, the Browns, first of all, have got a great offensive line. Um, they have for a while. They've got some great pieces there, and Jack Conklin is a part of that. Um, he played at Tennessee for several years. He's been in Cleveland the last two. Since being in Cleveland, his two PFF grades uh, last year and this year, 84 and 78 overall, so rated about 80. His replacement seemingly going to be either Blake Hans or James Hudson, looks like uh, probably Blake Hans, unless he's injured as well, has a 59 overall grade, 70 run blocking, and 38 pass blocking grade. 38. Blake has allowed playing, he's played 10 games so far this season, um, 340 snaps at right tackle, which is about the same as Jack Conklin, as well as 160 snaps at left tackle. He is their backup left tackle apparently as well. Um, He has allowed 24 pressures, three sacks, five hits, and 16 hurries. This guy is about as bad as you can find. So there is some talk about them looking to bring somebody in to possibly help them out, but uh, losing Jack Conklin is pretty significant. The other issue that they're going to have is the fact that their left tackle, Jedrick Wills, hasn't really been panning out. 2020 first-round pick. Um, I respect the pick. One of the things I've always said is if you got a good offensive line, that doesn't mean you abandon your offensive line. you got guys that are getting old, find replacements. They did. The problem is this guy's not great. 61 overall grade. He's allowed 26 pressures already this season. That is a really, really high number. So the interior offensive line is still doing great. Uh, Joel Batonio, left guard, has a 91.8 overall grade. I'm not going to look it up. I'd be willing to bet that's the best left guard in football. J.C. Treader, 75 overall grade. Right guard Wyatt Teller, who I think last year was the number one guard in football, has an 86.2. So the two guards on this team are probably the best guard duo in football. I wouldn't be surprised if they're number one and number two. And again, uh, J.C. Treader in the center is doing great. So great interior, but the tackles are a problem. So hopefully we can kind of exploit that when the time comes. We'll have to revisit it again to see what they're actually at. Um, you know, maybe they found a replacement. I don't know, but that's, that's definitely exploitable, and I'm pretty excited about it. 
Beyond that, there was the injury to uh, our next opponent after Cleveland, the Minnesota Vikings, wide receiver Adam Thielen. Now, I don't think at this point there's any reason, I shouldn't say that, there's there's nobody saying he's going to be out super long term. However, it is a high ankle sprain, or at least it's believed to be a high ankle sprain, and that can be very serious. So uh, it's worth pointing out. I think everybody would assume he'll be back by then, but again, it's uh, it's worth noting. Just because nobody's really talking about it right now doesn't necessarily mean anything. Let me read this little thing from a random website that I found that probably is not credible, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's a doctor that wrote this, all right, so just relax. Ankle sprains are common NFL injuries that skilled players sustain. There are two types, lateral and high sprains, a.k.a. high ankle. Players typically return from lateral sprains with one to two weeks, and performance can suffer modestly. Lateral sprains can also result in a recurrence within a few uh, the first week. At that point, players can be out for up to two more weeks. High ankle sprains are much more severe, and despite the commonly cited four to six-week timeline thrown around, the mean and median missed amount of time is three weeks among skill players. Lateral ankle sprains result in a modest loss of time and production. High ankle sprains are a gruesome injury that is slow to heal and re- recurs in season 20% of the time. Do not tra- uh, uh, anyway. Goes on to say that the mean range of missed time is between 5 and 27 days. So, I mean, he, he could be back. I mean, if it is a high ankle sprain, there's very little chance that he's going to be able to play because they're playing on Thursday in their upcoming meeting, but he could easily be back um, for their next meeting, their next game, whatever. But um, it's not impossible that he's out a month. So it's really just going to depend on, um, is it a high ankle sprain and how serious is it, I guess. And again, the other relevant point to this is, um, is it going to hamper his ability to play moving forward? And also they talked about a high ankle sprain is likely to be re-injured. So that is another potential issue for Mr. Adam Thielen. Anyways, moving off of that, um, seemingly kind of random, but somebody had asked me the question, and I'm not going to answer the question today, but just kind of telling you how I got here. How do you stop Lamar Jackson? And so I just got a little bug, and I'm like, I'm just going to look at Lamar Jackson real quick. And I was kind of surprised by something. Not only is he seemingly having a down year, again, I haven't really been paying attention to anybody in the AFC North, especially for several weeks, um, but... Not only is he having a down year, he's seemingly been declining since his MVP season in 2019. If you look at his grades, 90.1 when he won MVP, 79 in 2020. So far this year, a 70.1. But not only is he down to a 70, the only reason he's as high as he is is because he had three really good games, weeks three, four, and five. 88, 81, 82. Aside from that, um, it has not been very good. Beyond that, The last four weeks, and three weeks in particular, have been horrible. Uh, If we go back to week nine against Minnesota, he had a 59 overall grade. That's below average. Week 10 against Miami, terrible football team. He had a 50.7 overall grade. Then they had a bye week. He comes out of his bye week, plays Cleveland week 12, 41 overall grade, 35 passing grade. Then last week, week 13 against Pittsburgh, 44 overall grade, 35.5 passing grade. He had back-to-back weeks in the 40s, back-to-back weeks with a passing grade in the 30s. So I wanted to see how bad that is. So I looked at, okay, well, let's take a look um, at uh, these three weeks or, or four weeks or whatever it was. I think I did four because they had a bye week mixed in there. And um, well, maybe I didn't. Where is it? Nope, it was three. Never mind. We got it. In the last three weeks, which does encompass Lamar's bye week, but still, 
I went and looked at it, and sure enough, Lamar Jackson is dead last. 37th out of 37. Um, oh, no, even if you go back another week. There we go. All right, four weeks, which is Lamar's last three weeks. Lamar Jackson is 39th out of 39 quarterbacks. He is doing horribly. The reason I found it interesting and wanted to bring it up is it doesn't end there. Um, one spot above him is Taysom Hill, which is brutal. One spot above him is Baker Mayfield. Again, we have the Chicago Bears, which is Justin Fields slash Andy Dalton. Not a great quarterback situation. After that, we have Lamar Jackson, who's literally, over the last four weeks, been the worst quarterback in football. After that, we get Baker Mayfield. Injuries or no injuries, over the last four weeks, has been the third worst quarterback out of 39 quarterbacks in all of football. Then we get Kirk Cousins, who's doing fine. He's eighth. Kudos to him. And then we get Jared Goff and the Lions. Somebody had asked me the question, what are the odds that the Packers actually do run the table? I don't know. I will say this, though. I think the Packers have complete and total control over their destiny. I don't think there's a single team in their way, and I understand we're playing the Minnesota Vikings. I don't think there's a single team in their way that can do anything that, that, that will stop them from going undefeated the rest of the season. It's on them, pending injury. It's, it's really up to them just going out and executing. They are the better football team by a mile. I know the Baltimore Ravens are scary. I know Lamar is fast. I understand there's all these things that are popping around in our heads, but the Baltimore Ravens are not a super great football team right now. The defense is nowhere near what it used to be, and Lamar Jackson is seriously struggling right now. The Bears are completely done. Now, we'll, we'll talk about it. That doesn't mean we're automatically going to win. I am legitimately concerned about coming out of the bye week. I know that sounds like ridiculous superstition. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but the Bears are cooked. They're done. They're, they're toast. The Ravens are struggling. And I know their record looks really promising at 8-4. and four. The problem is, if you look at starting in week 7, it hasn't been that great. They lost to the Bengals. I mean, they got annihilated by the Bengals. They come out of their bye week. They barely beat the Minnesota Vikings. They won in overtime. They lost to the Miami freaking Dolphins, scoring only 10 points in that game. That's an embarrassment. They beat the Bears by only 3 points. That is horrible. They beat the Cleveland Browns by 6 points. And remember, we're coming at this from the assumption that Cleveland is also struggling. So Cleveland is having a hard time. Their quarterback is really struggling. And you beat them by 6. And then you beat Pittsburgh, or you lost to Pittsburgh, who is a pretty bad football team, by a point. The Ravens' offense in the last four weeks has scored 10, 16, 16, and 19 points. Aside from beating up on the Minnesota Vikings and scoring 34 points, prior to that, Cincinnati, 17 points. This, this is bad. Then we have Baker Mayfield and the 6-6 six and six Cleveland Browns, a team that everybody kind of felt like was headed in the right direction. But ever since uh, they went 3-1, and one, they've completely fallen apart. They lost to the Chargers, um, giving up 47 points in that game. Uh, they lost to Arizona, which you say, well, it's Arizona. That's understandable. Yeah, but they lost 14-37. to 37, So that's brutal. They beat Denver by three, whoop-de-doo. They lost to the Steelers. Again, not a good football team, only scoring 10 points. They whooped on the Bengals, 41-16, to 16, congratulations, and then lost 7-45 to 45 against the Patriots. 7-45. to 45. They came back and played the Lions and won by three. That's an embarrassment. And then again, lost to Baltimore, 10-16. They have a bye week, and then they got to play Baltimore all over again. We'll see how that goes. This is a rough 
rough group. So again, it, it sounds scary because in, in our minds, we're thinking, all right, we got the Bears. We should be able to win that one. It's at home, all that stuff. Baltimore's scary. That's a team that has a good defense and a super mobile quarterback, and we can't beat mobile quarterbacks because my brain's still stuck in, in you know 2014 or whatever, 2015. And then Cleveland, I mean, Baker's there, and they're scary, and they got a good offensive line and, and good run game, and, and they got Miles Garrett and scary, right? It's all scary stuff. I remember what they did to the Bears where they sacked them like 4,500 times, I'm pretty sure. But that's that's not the reality. Then we get the Minnesota Vikings. Well, the Minnesota Vikings already beat us. They beat us 34 to 31. That's super bad and all this stuff. Look, I get it, man. We got beat. It happens. We went into Minnesota. They played well. This team that has not played well all year for the most part had a really good game against us. Sometimes it happens. This is also the team that just lost to Detroit. This is a team that got embarrassed by San Francisco, right? They lost to the Ravens in overtime, right? It's been really, really bad. This is not a good football. It's a team that has the ability to once in a while really show up, and they really like to do that against the Packers. Kirk Cousins' best games are against the Packers. Adam Thielen's best games are against the Packers. I don't know why that keeps happening, but it does. They just they just show up. I mean, maybe it's just the intensity. It's the rivalry. They hate the team, and they just put their best foot forward. I don't know. But at the end of the day, that's what we're dealing with. The team that just allowed a game-winning drive by Jared Goff and the winless Detroit Lions. If you can't beat that team and Detroit can, that's a big problem. After that, we end in Detroit. Now, it's scary because it's Detroit, but it's still Detroit. And they're they're riding a high. They got their first win. This is just a couple weeks after they got that tie with Pittsburgh. They almost beat, I mean, heck, they've, they've almost won their last four in a row, 16 to 16 against Pittsburgh since their bye week. They, they tied Pittsburgh and lost by only three to Cleveland, lost by only two to Chicago, and then beat Minnesota. They're on a little bit of a tear here. They go to Denver. That's a winnable game. They're probably going to get beat up on by Arizona. They they got a chance against Atlanta. Who knows? For all I know, they got a chance against Seattle, the way Seattle's playing. Classic trap game, right? Packers are all fired up. They've won their last however many in a row, three in a row, four in a row. Going into Detroit, this is a terrible team. We're a great team. We're going to steamroll everybody. It's all this great stuff. And Detroit puts their best foot forward because they're fired. You never know. But again, that's that's on Green Bay. Green Bay doesn't run the table if they don't put their best foot forward or injury issues or whatever. Just show up every day, give it 100%, and they got the wins. It seems like a a tall task to say, well, you can't just expect them to win their next five in a row. That's a little bit unfair. That's that's tough, especially a team that's, that's, you know, two and two in the last four weeks. All I know is the Packers have no business losing to the Bears, Ravens, Browns, Vikings, or Lions. Now, again, looking at it from that statistical lens, is is it uh, likely that they end up dropping one of these at least? Yes. But on an individual basis, they got no business losing to any of these teams. There's no reason. There's no excuse. They should run the table. Just the quarterbacks alone. This is the worst collection of quarterbacks in the NFL that we're going up against with the exception of Cousins. Anyways, with that, why don't we go ahead and take a little bit of a break. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you don't know how to type all that in, if it's spelling issue or whatever, just reach out. I'll get you a link. We'll figure it out. We'll make this thing work. Do want to say thank you very much to all my patrons. I know I'm behind on all the stuff, but um, we'll, we'll get it out. Getting into that mode where it's like I want to do a ton of stuff and I just kind of get that uh, analysis paralysis thing going and I end up getting nothing done. It's like I, I you know. Spend a lot of time thinking about doing stuff. <laughs> but uh, anyways, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. 
All right, now that we're uh, coming out of that sweet, sweet break, I do want to look at some of these question and answers things here. John's first question was essentially answered already. Do you think we have a legitimate, realistic shot at running the table and winning out the rest of the season? Those are two different things. Legitimate, yes. Realistic, slightly less so, but yes. Only because, again, statistically, the odds go down when you start adding games, right? What are the odds you beat the Lions? 90%. What are the odds you beat the Lions twice? 40%. What are the odds you beat them three times? 15%. I mean, I'm making it up, but you see how drastically it drops, right? If you start talking about what are the odds you beat them five times, I don't know, 3%, 5%. You might want to take those odds. That's fine. I'm just saying, statistically, it's going to drop. I don't know how the odds makers make all that work. But um, the point is, it's always hard to win five in a row, no matter what the team, no matter what the circumstances. Given that fact, is there any one team that we should lose to? Absolutely not. Mr. David says, who besides Adams do you like to see get more involved in the offense down the stretch? I can't get my mind off of Lazard. I mean, there's a lot of good answers here. You could say A.J. Dillon, right? We seem to do better when he does well. Um, when, we, when we're running the ball, when we're running the ball well, just any, any game where he gets a ton of carries, we seem to just kind of do well in that game. Could say DeGuara because I really like DeGuara and we also need to get a tight end kind of involved and he does certain things. You could say a guy like Amari Rogers because that adds a whole new dynamic. If he kind of breaks out, man, what is that going to do for the offense? You could say Randall Cobb. You could say MVS because we need more of a deep threat. We need a deep shot. We need all that kind of stuff. Um, I think MVS and, and Alan Lazard are probably the best two answers. My only issue with Alan Lazard, or excuse me, with, with Marquez is, although it's incredibly valuable to have that sort of deep threat, I want a guy that's going to help us more consistently down the field as opposed to a guy that's sort of a maybe once or twice. And, and again, having MVS as a deep threat is a threat in and of itself, right? Just send him down the field. If they cover him, sweet. If they don't, he's open. So, I mean, if you send him down the field and he's covered, he's not going to have a big impact as far as his stat. But if he's freeing things up underneath, he's doing his job. But in terms of uh, who would I like to see get more involved? Lazard. Um, or, or at least somebody like Lazard. In other words, somebody that fills that role that he used to fill but hasn't been able to do this year. It could be Randall Cobb. But there just needs to be a guy that's reliable, consistently reliable, and that third down on, on, on occasionally a big play, whatever it might be. There has to be somebody. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm saying Lazard because he has been that guy. But I, I want another receiving weapon, a consistent receiving weapon. And, and, and again, Randall Cobb is a great option because he was that guy for a very long time. You know, 12 targets, 10 receptions, two touchdowns. I mean, just just great down the field, move the sticks kind of a receiver. So I'm, I'm kind of saying Lazard, but it's not so much the person as it is just a role that I would like to see filled better. Douglas says, why are people insane? Is it just laziness? For example, saying Rodgers should be flagged for taunting the fans, Bears fans and Cowboys fans really believe this. So Douglas has been messaging me on Twitter. Apparently he's been getting into all kinds of fights on Twitter. I, I haven't personally experienced this, so I, I can't really say, although I, I do see anytime somebody brings up the refs and the Packers, even though the Bears fans are completely despondent and they're, they're, they've given up hope for everything, um, they still can't help themselves saying the Packers get all the calls, and it just it it just pains me, because I watch football, I watch games that are not Packer games, and I watch every single week as teams get calls that they shouldn't get, for and against, including the Bears. Every single week, the Bears have calls, 
either that go in their direction or calls that should have been made against them that don't get called. That happens to every team every single week, which is why we all seem to like the refs that just don't call, just don't throw any flag. Because it's like, you know what, whatever. That's just how we're playing it. We're going to let everybody get away with everything unless it's massively egregious. And I personally saw it with my own two eyes, and there's no question. Not like you ran behind him, and it looks like your arms are extended, and the guy fell, and I'm just going to assume. No, 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 no. I couldn't see your hands. I don't know. Maybe you got tripped up and fell. I'm not throwing the flag. But yeah, I, I you know, I, I think bias is a big part of it. I mean, we, we all do this when it's our team, right? Occasionally, we can see things from an unbiased lens where something happens, you know, like, eh, we kind of got away with one there, or you know, that was probably a good call. But if it's on the fence, we tend to lean in the favor of our team. I think the same is true, especially for Bears fans and Cowboys fans and Vikings fans, especially when there's already a preconceived notion that the Packers get away with everything. In other words, a Bears fan could watch Ravens Steelers and see a bad call and go, oh, that was a bad call. But if they're watching Packers, you know, Ravens or whatever, and the the Packers get away with something, it's the worst thing in the world. And they're going to run to Twitter and, oh my goodness, it happened again. Can you believe it? And it's just this all-consuming thing that makes it feel bigger than it is. And it confirms your bias. And, And you just ignore the fact that you just saw that in all the other games. And you ignore the fact that that just happened to the other team, which is every other, every time stuff like that happens, you'll see a, a call goes the Packers' way, and everybody jumps on it. Oh, yeah, you get all the memes with the Packers celebrating with the refs or whatever. And three plays later, there's a touchdown given to the other team on a blatant push-off that doesn't get called, and nobody says anything. And nobody thinks, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these things just happen because it's football. No, no, no. That's not how that works. So I think it's bias and... Um, it's 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 something where that you can't convince them otherwise. I tried that with with the website that literally shows that that's not true. But aside from that, it's it's all anecdotal. So how do you argue against that? You're a biased Packer fan. They're not going to believe you anyway. So if you say that's not true, they're going to say yes, it is. I've, I've literally seen it. I've literally seen it. Literally, I've literally seen it. Right. And then and then we'll watch a Bears game and the Bears will get away with something and we'll be like, what now? And then they just gloss over it. It's not based in anything. Right? If they actually cared, they would try to pull up data. And again, I've done that. I pulled up data. It doesn't support anything that they're saying. It just doesn't. There's, there's a website that tracks every penalty and all the yards and all that stuff. It never shows what they want it to show. But they don't care about data. They don't care about information. They care about anecdotally. They've seen calls go the Green Bay Packers way, and that means that they pay off the refs and the refs are obsessed and blah, blah, blah. Right? Like when Aaron Donald has a chokehold on our offensive center right in front of the ref, and the ref is the one that actually pries his claws off of the guy's neck and doesn't feel the need to throw a flag. Right, because the Packers pay the refs. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but remember that one time? Yeah, I remember lots of times, man. I remember losing back-to-back games because Clay Matthews got called for some nonsense roughing the passer calls. I remember lots of things. Do you remember the fail Mary, one of the biggest referee blunders of all times, went against the Packers and was definitively the thing that caused us to lose the game? It's not like one of those things that happened in the third quarter. Well, technically, if that wouldn't have been called, then we probably would have got a touchdown, and then we only lost by six, so that means we would have won the game. Nope, that's not how that works. However, game-winning touchdown, that is how that works, because it's only going to go one of two ways. It's completed for a touchdown, or it's intercepted, and the game's over. Either way, the game's over, and the game ends with either us winning or us losing. And I'm not sitting here complaining, saying the Packers get it worse than anybody else. I I don't believe that's true either. I think there's really bad referee crews out there that just throw a ton of flags and really mess everything up, and the Packers have absolutely had the brunt of that. 
Just like I know the Bears have had some games where it's just the refs were horrible, and I know the Vikings have, and I know the Cowboys have, and I know the Ravens have, and the Patriots have. Maybe not when Tom Brady was there, but the Patriots have. <laughs> See, we do it too a little bit. We do it too, but it, but again, I, I know that's not based in fact. I, I very, very rarely watch Patriots games. It's just when I did, they seemed to be very protective of Mr. Tom Brady. And I do know there was a period of time, although I haven't seen it in a long time, where it felt like Aaron Rodgers had a little bit of sway over the referees. There was like a, a period of time where I feel like Rodgers used to walk up to the referees and the referees would go walk and pick up the flag. And it was like, dang, that's crazy. Like, like that's probably a little bit messed up, but I'm not going to complain because that is awesome. But I don't think that's happened in a long time. I see Rodgers go over and talk to the refs and they tell him to go pound sand. I don't know if there was some new rule that came out that, I, I don't know. But um, I do feel like that used to be a thing, a little bit more so. He would go plead his case, and suddenly the refs would change their mind. I haven't seen that in a long time. But yeah, it's just it's just bias. And, and, and those are the kind of arguments that are not worth getting in because you can't win it. You can't win it because they can't prove it, and they're not going to try to prove it. They're going to stand on, I made this thing up, and it's true until you can prove me that it's not true. And you can't prove that it's not true. You can't. So they put themselves in a no-lose situation just ignore it. Deep down inside, they know that they're a garbage team, not because of the refs, but because they're a garbage team. Deep down inside, they know the Packers have not been a dominant team for 30 years because the referees throw penalty flags. They know that. They know Aaron Rodgers is great. They know David Bakhtiari is great. They know Elton Jenkins is great. They know Aaron Jones and and A.J. Dillon are a great running back duo. They know Devontae is great. They know Kenny Clark is great. They know Rashawn. Well, they probably don't know about Rashawn, but they will. They know Zadarius is great. They know Jair is great. They know Amos, who they gave up, is a great safety. They know these things. They know that's why we win. They know Matt LaFleur is a great coach, despite the fact that they don't have to admit it because nobody's really talking about it yet, so they can keep pretending that he's not a great coach when obviously he is. They know Brian Gutekunst has done a great job, but again, they can just deny it and keep pretending that it. They know this is a good football team. They know they win because they're better. They know for sure the Bears are not losing to the Packers because of cheating. They are 1,000% sure, as much as we are, that the Packers have been consistently dominant above and and beyond the Green Bay Bay Bears, the Chicago Bears, based on talent. They know it. They're just trying to pick on you. They're teasing you. Oh, yeah, you guys got the refs. You got the refs. Okay, fine. So what? What does that mean? If, if the refs were, let's say the refs were completely unbiased and never made a bad call, who wins? Bears or Packers? Who wins? They know the answer to that question. Ask them that next time. All right, fine, you're right. The, the refs are in our back pocket. Let's say going forward they're completely unbiased. Who wins? Bears or Packers? It's not even close. It's not even close. I will gift you three pass interference calls. 30 yards apiece, 90 yards on three penalty flags. Who wins the game? We still win the game. You know we do. Our offense is better than your defense. Our defense is better than your offense. The only thing you got on us is special teams. We pass better than you. We run better than you. We block better than you. We catch better than you. We stop the run better than you. We rush the passer better than you. We cover better than you. We tackle better than you. Everything we do, with the exception, again, of special teams, is better than you. So you can keep talking about the refs all you want. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Because number one, if you're right, great, awesome, bonus, we get the refs, suck it. And if you're wrong, then you're just a whiny crybaby, little baby back, you know what. 
And you can just sit around and sulk in your own tears for all I care. Either way, you can go do that. But nothing that you're saying is is should be hurting my feeling. That would be like if Joe Rogan was walking around with Conor McGregor and somebody walked up to Joe Rogan. They're like, dude, I would totally smoke you right now. Or the only reason you think you're tough is because you're walking next to Conor McGregor. Okay, granted, Conor McGregor, better fighter than Joe Rogan. However, let's say Conor McGregor goes bye-bye. I'd be willing to bet money that Joe Rogan is going to smoke you. You know why? Because even though he's not a professional guy, he is a trained fighter. Has been for many years. He's a kickboxer since he was like a teenager. He's been training in MMA for who knows how long. He's got his black belt in in, uh, jiu-jitsu. On top of having his black belt in um, taekwondo, I believe. But yeah, I'm strolling around with Conor McGregor. And yeah, if you mess with me, he's probably going to bust your jaw. Nothing that you're saying is hurting my feelings. Nothing. Yes, he will stomp you out. And yes, I will stomp you out even if he's not here. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that? You're right, the refs are in my pocket, so you're kind of screwed. But even if they're not, you're still screwed. Anything else you'd like to add to this conversation? What else you got? Nothing? Okay. So what? I mean, that's the thing. You don't even need to get defensive about it. Yeah, you guys have the refs in your pocket. Yep, pretty sweet. We got everything, man. We got the quarterback. We got the historic franchise that everybody respects, unlike yours and nobody cares about. We got the offense, the defense, the coach. Got all the glory. Decades of great play, playoffs every year. Man, we're just living it up. We got the refs. We got it all, baby. You should come over to our side. It's more fun. You don't want to be a Bears fan. Come on over here. We got it all. There's no penalty flags over here. I mean, not in our direction. You can get what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Cry about it. I mean, they're being stupid. Why can't I be stupid? Just be stupid with them. Yeah, you were right. Yeah, we got the refs. Got them big time. In fact, I got the dude on the field's phone number. The back judge or whatever, personal cell phone, I can dial into his earpiece. Be like, dude, pick that up, that's trash. If you're a Packers fan, in fact, um, it's one of the perks when you uh, are an owner, because I, I am full owner and I get to make decisions. One of the perks is you can call the referees and be like, dude, pick up that flag, that's trash. All owners have the phone numbers of referees on the field during game day, live. Hey man, I think that guy pushed off, you should probably uh, throw a flag on that. That's why there's late calls all the time, because we call them and tell them to throw a flag. Sometimes we lie, you know, but they have to do it. They're uh, they're bound. It's a stupid conversation. Anyways, make it dumber. Anyways, I'm going to end it on that high note. We got a bunch of more questions. I'll start ripping through uh, tomorrow, the next day, whatever. Tomorrow, the plan is laughing at the enemy. We got to start looking at the Chicago Bears, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, that's for later. You guys have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com